you know, and I kind of deep down inside, you know, oh, it'd be so cool to run the Boston Marathon. I think, okay. you know, most people kind of think that, right? Hi, friends. This is Daniel Martinez, co-host and creator of the Any Given Run Day podcast. I personally want to thank you for taking the time to listen to us today. This podcast was created with you, the runner in mind. We dive in and talk to athletes of all levels, abilities, and share our stories and experiences with you. Andy, what's up? Hey, Henry, can you hear me? I can. Awesome. Fantastic. It's good to see you, or good to meet you. Yeah, good to meet you, too. All right. Thank you, everybody, for joining us for another episode of the Indie Given Run Day podcast. I'm actually very excited, and I'm always humbled and very um, happy that get people to to come and talk to us and just be open and and share their stories and life with us. Um, Pretty excited. We have a, a special guest, Henry Ward. Currently in Boston, but out of Arizona. Is that correct? That is correct. I grew up in Boston, so we're here for the holidays. You know, awesome. we, we have to make the decision to travel, but my family's here, and we're here for a few weeks. Awesome, awesome. So I, I, I came across, um, I guess, a post, right, on Facebook, and I read a little bit about what, what you're doing or what you've been through, and it just kind of um, caught my attention, and, you know, I had to reach out and, you know, just try to find out. Uh, a little bit about your story and see if you're willing to share and uh, you know just throw throw your story out there so to so we can uh, help your cause you know um, do you mind sharing just a little bit about that I'd be happy to share uh, how much do you want me to share uh, well I mean well, well well let's just start off at let's start off at the, a little bit at the beginning because I know we're talking about you know running and endurance and and you know kind of your cause but let, let me start with this um, so you say you were born in Boston. Were were you in sports when you were growing up? Yeah. So okay. So I was born and raised in Boston. I lived there for the first thirty four years of my life. Um, I was always active, playing with my friends, organized sports, and then you know a little bit later on in life, I played street hockey and you know pick up basketball and football with friends. And I rollerbladed and, and rode my bike. Um, so I was always pretty active. Was that with school or is that like just kind of with friends on the weekends or after school? With friends. I mean, I, you know, I played in leagues. I played baseball and basketball leagues and stuff like that. But everything else was kind of, well, actually street hockey too was pickup. Okay. And was running already a part of your life then the, the way it is now? Or no, that wasn't a thing yet? <laughs> the only thing for running would be during sports or running from the cops, honestly. I mean, <laughs> No, um, you know, not to make a joke of it, but no, I, I, um, you know, I, I drank a lot, so I'm, I'm in recovery, been in recovery for 12 years, and um, I smoked and smoked marijuana and cigarettes when I drank, so uh, running was not for fitness or anything like that. It was just kind of, um, you know, during sports, run from one side of the, the hockey rink to the other, the basketball court, or go catch a pass or something like that. I never really enjoyed running. I didn't know how to do it you know I'd run too fast to go catch a pass or run down the court and be winded right yeah yeah I didn't really enjoy that too too much I, mean, I liked being active in, in the feeling of you know playing playing games and stuff like that but I was never like into races or you know not even a 5k and really even know how how far a 5k was at that time and so you said you grew up in Boston how long were you there I mean you till adulthood or yeah so until um, I was 34 years old, and then I had an opportunity to kind of come out to Arizona, and um, I wanted to move out to the West Coast. I explored that option, but found that it was kind of expensive, and then I also found that Arizona was really, really hot in the summer. <laughs> but I spent an extra, this time I spent 10 days out there, 
And, uh, you know, I really, really enjoyed it. I did get sun poisoning slash alcohol poisoning. I was at a friend's house and he was like, why don't you come out back? Let's go out back and, and you know, have a couple beers and we'll fire up the grill. And I'm like, I'm, it's too bad. I really like this place, Arizona. But if it wasn't for the really extreme heat and the sun, it's sit in the shade. It's not that bad. It's, you know, it's 98. Uh, there's a nice little desert breeze. And we sat out back there and just had a couple of beers and some bratwursts and some burgers and stuff like that. And I'm like, I can get into this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I decided to move to Arizona. So I paid off some bills, tied up some loose ends. Finally saw the Red Sox win a World Series after 86 years. <laughs> I was in a friend's wedding and then I moved out um, in November of 2004. 2004, okay. And so in the timeline, is that... 34 years. Yeah, okay. Years old. Um, okay. You know, it, was, it was kind of a, um, an attempt to get sober, honestly. Okay. You know, geographical change. I'm like, oh, I can do this. I'll just go out there and start a new life. But it doesn't really work that way. You know, if you don't do yeah. the work yourself, no. geographical change is going to help you. Yeah. Well, because I, I did go back and I was able to see a video you recorded on Facebook, uh, I don't know, a week, two weeks ago, something like that. Correct. Um, and you had mentioned that you tried or you were trying different things to i guess help you mi- minimize the drinking or or try to completely stop but it wouldn't work what, what, what i mean what things were you doing i mean you i mean you can help like i started going to the gym and i felt great and reaped the benefits of that um, i went to culinary school i mean great decision both of those are great decisions right but um, they can't make you sober they can't get you straight you have to be ready you have to do a lot of work on yourself and really just completely understanding that I can never drink again. One is too many and 20 is not enough um, is so true. I had to I had to stop and I had to get treatment. And then, you know, when I went to treatment, it was like I was going to college. I was going getting a, an education on being with myself, dealing with my raw emotions uh, and how to do, how to do that in the long, for the long run, you know, not just the short term, you know, study for a test and, and, you know, short-term memory, that type of thing. It's stuff that you, I mean, I have to, there's no cure. I have to continue to work on myself and, and work on those things. But um, I needed to, I needed that education to, um, to help me get sober, first of all. And um, yeah. And then learn how to be with myself and make amends and all that. And I mean, answer this however you, you know, you, you, you want, but how did you get to that point? I guess, I mean, was it, I mean, would you say it's, was it quick or was it over time or did you not even know that you were, you know, addicted to the, to, to the drinking and, and that? I mean, I, I knew, I knew I had a problem and, you know, people told me growing up and I was a little bit in, in denial, but, you know, deep down inside in retrospect, I knew. And then it just started getting worse and worse and worse. And, um, you know, speed up to 2008, I had gone to, I had gone to AA meetings. I had gone to family counseling. And I was pretty much given an ultimatum. I knew that I had a problem there and I was feeling a little bit better as I was going to those things, but I was kind of only, only kidding myself. It was just kind of a band-aid fix. Once I had the time to drink on my own, I did. And um, I really kind of went off the deep end. My wife was like, that's it. We, you know, I'm, if, if you don't get better, if you don't get treatment, then we're done. I'm going to, we're going to separate. And and so I, I did, I, I drank, I kind of went off the deep end and, and she wasn't returning my texts or my phone calls or anything like that. So I got mad at her, you know, it was her fault. It wasn't mine instead of blaming her for my problem. And um, I drank and drank and drank. And then I 
I was getting low on beer and I went out once and then I was really just kind of blacking out and passing out, waking up and drinking and not eating much. I was very weak and I started getting really scared like I was going to die. And honestly, I really didn't want to live. I wasn't suicidal, but I didn't want to live. And I knew that I was getting low on beer and I had to go to the store. So to get rid of like the cold sweats and stuff, I went and took a shower, a nice long shower, kind of rinse everything off and get some clarity, wake up and feel well enough to walk down the street to carry whatever I could carry back, you know, whatever beer. And um, I remember sitting in the shower, just praying to my, praying to God, you know, send somebody to, to save me, send the angels and stuff. And, you know, I don't want to be the way I am. Like alcoholics and addicts don't want to be the way they are. It's a disease and, you know, just like anything else. And I'm like, I don't want to be like this anymore. You know, I give up. My way's not working. I've tried cutting down and um, send me an angel, send me somebody, send me help saying, you know, send me one of our friends' names and, or anybody. And um, I get out of the shower and have my clothes laid out in the bed. And I remember there was a realtor and, and a younger couple there and just like, you know, this, their jaws dropped and they saw me, you know, completely naked or, you know, just take the towel off and I was naked. Um, it was pretty powerful. Those, those, I believe those, that was my spiritual awakening. Those were the angels. And I, they slowly backed away and I slowly backed away and they left and I got changed and walked in the kitchen and just, emptied out the last three or four or five beers and a little bit of alcohol that I had, a little tequila or rum, and that was done. It was November 17th, 2008. I was done. That was it. That was enough for me. And, you know, my wife came home and we briefly talked and, and I told her, you know, I didn't feel well enough to go for treatment, but I was going to go. And, you know, I think it was two days later, I ended up going there. And after, um, after a little hesitation, let's just say, uh, with, the, with the gentleman at the desk, he was a little bit uh, in your face. Um, I signed up, you know, he basically said, what, what would you do for alcohol and drugs? Anything? Yeah. You know, then what would you do to get better? Anything? Said, yeah. Then why would you sign up? I'm like, I, well, I have to think about it, the money and talk to my wife and, you know, I don't know. I have to figure things out. It's not something, this is a huge decision. I don't want to just kind of, I don't want to get myself into it. He's like, well, you came here for help, right? I said, yeah, well, I mean, I came here for information. He's like, what the hell's information going to do for you? You'll get all the information you need when you, when you, when you sign up and think about how your wife's going to feel if she comes back to you. Think about how I didn't go to work for like three days. I was like, no call, no show. How's work going to feel when you're a better employee? How's your, you know, how are you going to feel not being, not going to urgent care or not getting arrested, or not getting in a fight, you know, not all, like all the madness is going to go away. The miracles will happen. Just sign up and, well, you know, money, like money's not important. It's not, it's your life. You only get one chance at this. Tomorrow may never come. So yeah. sign up today. And I'm like, you know, shut up. Fine. If you, if you just shut up, I'll sign up. And, you know, maybe I won't even, you know, I won't even show up maybe, you know, at a minimum, mm -hmm. I'll just sign this thing and, and, you know, quiet this guy down. And, but when I, when I signed it, I remember like a huge weight was lifted off my shoulders. Like, all right, that's it. It's over. I just, you know, I just had this weird, really weird feeling that it was over. I don't have to do this anymore. And then, you know, all of a sudden, like I started getting a little bit of clarity and, and, you know, miracles started happening. I start, stopped thinking about, you know, how am I going to drink today? How many can I drink? How much time do I have? When's my wife getting home? How can I, you know, really sneak around and, and drink like I want her? That all went away. You know, I, I lost the urge pretty much immediately. Um, after I, after I literally registered, but after going a, a few times, I went to an outpatient program, intensive outpatient, but after going a few times, um, yeah, like the urge went away. You 
know, even when I had, I, I had time on my hands, I was by myself and I didn't really have the urge to, to go to the store before it was like automatic, almost like I was, I was hypnotized or possessed or something like that. You know, mm -hmm. I just found my way going to the store and buying a six pack or whatever, but that all went away. It was, it was a miracle. And you mentioned, uh, was it November 17th? Yes. So that's two, uh, sorry, what, 20, 2008, right? Yeah, and ironically, it's the same day that I moved to Arizona in 2004. And that's 12 years sober. Correct. Oh, Correct. Well, I mean, celebrated 12 years. That's fantastic. And you, and, and throughout those 12 years, just like anyone's addiction or anyone's other's issues, I mean, do you ever not think about going back, but like just have those thoughts on, on a bad day or anything like that? Um, no, no, no. I mean, not maybe once or t once or twice, but no, not really strong. Like, mm -hmm. you know, that's it. I can't deal with this anymore. I'm, I'm going to, you know, go out and suppress my feelings and drown my <laughs> sorrows in a bottle or something. No, really. I, I haven't, you know, I'll get weird feelings just out of the blue and, you know, not that many times, but there's no like, Oh, let me think about this. There's no struggle or anything like that. You know, no argument. I call like the good Fred Flintstone on this shoulder and the bad Flintstone. <laughs> There's no voices in my head saying, you know, you should just go and get get a six pack or it's okay to have a little bit of a, you know, you can have one beer and stuff. And, you know, people have offered me and, um, you know, just not knowing that I was sober, like, hey, do you want a beer? And like, I know some people that when I was in the program, people I met in AA that have kind of autom like automatically like, yeah, sure. And then like, no, but no, I, I just, I don't, no, I just don't drink. I don't drink anymore. I'm, I'm in recovery and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. And um, so when did running come into the picture? I mean, was this in Arizona running, and Massachusetts? Yeah, like I, went, I went to personal training school in, in 2016, 2017. And one of my instructors said, did your sport find you? Or did you find your, did you choose your sport? And, <laughs> you know, I think it's a little bit of both. So, um, you know, speed up to 2012, my son Sebastian was born. And, um, you know, that was kind of my hobby. We were living in Belmont, Massachusetts. Um, we moved back from Arizona in 2009 and we were, you know, happily living here, but we didn't have too many hobbies. I certainly didn't have any hobbies. You know, some of my friends had kids and they were a little bit older and some of my friends lived a little further away and we got together every now and then. Most of the time we got together was like going out to eat. And that's, that's fine. But I didn't have any hobbies around the house. Um, you know, I started doing walking distance. I walked the dog and then when Sebastian was born, I'd walk with him everywhere. And then we had come out to Arizona and I, I ended up walking like 10 miles, 11 miles, 12 miles, like even in the mountains, there's coyotes and stuff like that. So like kind of like a seed was planted when we came back to visit. And then I went back home and I started doing the, the distance walking there with the dog or, mm -hmm. or with Sebastian. And then, um, in April or May of 2013, uh, we saw there was a bombing, the, the bombing at the Boston Marathon, and um, you know that hit home. And I wanted to kind of, I thought about stand, you know, Boston strong, and I should start running. And I tried it a little bit, but I was completely winded, and um, I had quit smoking before my son was born. But um, I was getting the shin splints and the stitches and everything else, and I'm like, Shh, you know, I really want to like this running thing, and then. We have a friend that lives in Corning, New York, friends, um, Enrique and Maritza, and they own a Snap Fitness 24-hour gym. Actually, okay. like and he had quit smoking. He, we were friends with them in Arizona, and they moved out to Corning. 
and I didn't think they'd last out there. Well, they thrived. They have like six businesses now. And, oh, wow. um, you know, he, he, uh, he quit smoking. He ran the Disney half. He ran the wine glass half marathon. So he became a runner and changed his lifestyle and lost a bunch of weight and was really, really doing well. And I asked him if he was running, like there's a glass fest, like Corning glass. And part of the, part of those, there was a, and there was a, there's a bunch of street vendors, puppeteer, magic Joe, all glass blowing and all that stuff. And there's an AK and I asked him if he was running and he said something like, I will, if you do, I'm like, I don't know how far an AK is. <laughs> and uh, I said, okay, you know what? Sign me up. I'll do it. You know, I'll, I'll run with you and I will become a runner. I'll train a few times and this will be, you know, this will be good for me. Something to strive for, maybe a new hobby. And uh, I trained with pushing my son, Sebastian ran a few times and, well, not going to be any ready than I am now. So it was <laughs> Memorial Day weekend in New York. It was 40 degrees out with 40 mile headwinds. And I quickly discovered that an AK is 5.2 miles or 5.3 miles and of living hell. Uh, I really, <laughs> I struggled. I, I mean, I didn't, in retrospect, I didn't struggle. I did pretty well as far as like a finish time. You know, I finished like in the top third. But, you know, mentally, I, I struggled going through the whole race and, you know, physically too. I was watching people pass me. Hate this. It's every time someone passed me, I want to like elbow them. And but I, you know, I, I all of a sudden I could kind of see my wife, and that's my wife and, and our friend Maritza and their two kids. And there's a big inflatable arch at the track. I have like not that much to go. I'm gonna finish this. And so, you know, adrenaline took over and, and I saw them and I and I finished it. It was really one of the greatest feelings, sort mm-hmm. of the greatest feelings or days in my life, you know. Um, crossing that finish line and getting like a glass medallion that was made at Corning, a banana, a water, squeezy, yeah. and, you know, and then I went back and, and, and asked if I could use Enrique's computer and I Googled road running races, Walter, Massachusetts. <laughs> and there's a race series, a race around Waltham. So um, all of a sudden I signed up, I asked my wife if I could sign up for a 5k that was in Waltham down the street, literally down the street from my house. And, if you really want to, are you okay? You know, you think you're gonna recover in time? It's next weekend. I'm like, I hope so. We'll see. Uh, and so then I showed up there, and I found people from high school that I went to high school with that I oh, wasn't uh-huh. really friends with, but people that were in recovery also, people that lost weight, you know, people that found running, you know, either then or later in their life. And um, I was, d- despite my my history and my sketchy past and my reputation, I was just accepted into the running community. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, there's like this, 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 this bond, there's, um, you know, everybody has this thing called running. And, you know, if you run, you're a runner and everybody has this in common and everybody reaps the benefits and it's kind of a cool atmosphere. And yeah. uh, I loved it. And so that race the next weekend. And then I was kind of, kind of addicted to running. You know, I started seeing my results, my times coming down and the train got a little bit easier and the st- side stitches went away. And um, I started like, I found this website called cool running and I would find, you know, there's a, Hey honey, there's a 5k in Pembroke, which <laughs> is 30 minutes away on Saturday morning. You think I could run it? Like, why do you have to run every weekend now? You know, it's <laughs> morning and you know, by the time you come home, you're junk. And you know, are you addicted to running? Are you addicted to racing? And well, it's, you know, it's better than what I was used to, used to be doing. And, but, um, you know, it kept me busy and I found this new passion and this new hobby mm. and it, changed my life you know I had this a new outlook and I just kind of reaped the the benefits of the the endorphins and the runners high and stuff and I escalated to 
the Boston half marathon. And then I, at that point I knew I could do a marathon. Like if I could do a half and I ran 15, yeah. 16, 17, 18 miles, I can do a full. And so I signed up by accident and she's listening in right now. <laughs> I signed up by accident, which is the honest to goodness truth, but she doesn't believe me for the 2014 Dick Sporting Good Marathon. Um, I didn't get into Boston. I applied for charities, but everybody wanted to run Boston and mm-hmm. you know, they, they were pledging, you know, no less than $10,000. Yeah. You need a strong connection to the cause. So I basically put name, address, phone number, email, password, shirt size, emergency contact, emergency contact, phone number, and like finish. And the next thing you know, the page repopulates and says, congratulations, you're running the 2014 <laughs> Pittsburgh Marathon, Dick Sporting Good Pittsburgh Marathon. You're like, wow. All right. So I ran that and I enjoyed the training for that. I ran my friends in the long runs that were training for Boston. So that was cool training the course. And, you know, someday I want to run Boston. And so I started really trying to get better on my marathon distance. And so I was, I still would do local 5Ks, but I was more hooked on, on marathons. So mm-hmm. I did the wine glass marathon the same year back in Corning, New York, and then came out to Arizona and did the rock and roll in 2015, January 2015, and did like eight or nine marathons that year. And um, I, the next year I did my first ultra. Was it 2000? No, it was 2015. 2015, I did my first ultra. Manchester, Monadnock, Manchester to Monadnock um, in New England here. And I was hooked on the Ultra Marathon, which is anything more than 26.2. At first I said, you know, why would anybody want to go beyond the, the 26.2? And so that sounds like a good idea to me. So I started seeking out ultras and doing some runcations, you know, did Badwater Cape Fear, came out here in 2016, did Havilene 100 in Arizona, not out here in yeah. Boston, you know, back, back home where we live. And, 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 you know, when I went out there, it was like, I really felt like finally that was the third time we had gone back to Arizona since we moved in 2009 that I, I kind of wanted to be there. It was, you know, let's start talking about possibly moving there. And uh, we ended up moving to Arizona in 2017 in June. So I've been out, out there since three and a half for three and a half years now. Um, and I've done a bunch of fundraisers for the stage race that I did in Patagonia. And then since then, I've done a little bit more. I did um, a 12-hour treadmill thon in my friend's gym in Corning, New York. I did the Boston Quad, which is the marathon course for consecutive times. I've oh, done wow. that. Well, this, this, this year was virtual. I did it in Chandler, Arizona, but my, my driveway to the top of South Mountain. But I've done <laughs> the Boston thing four times. I've done the Mesa Marathon Quad, and I'm going to do that again in February. That just got canceled, too, so that'll be virtual. That'll be the third time I did that. And I did some 24-hour desert runs. I did a 24-hour track run. All fundraisers for addiction, for helping people that, that suffer from addiction kind of get the treatment they need. Um, so all in all, I've, I think I raised some around $20,000. And um, oh, well. In September, I started my own nonprofit organization doing the same thing called Running Without the Devil. And, you know, this pandemic has uh, allowed me to have some time to to work on some of the things that I've been complaining I haven't had time to do, which includes finishing my book with the same title. (laughs) (laughs) And I got a lot of fun things planned for next year, but... You would think someone that's from that area, the Boston area, grew up, um, like, wanting to run. I mean, you, you... literally have the most popular race or marathon in the world um but that's not what you were doing no i mean i watched it every year pretty much i think i missed one or two years um but i mean 
I grew up watching with my grandfather. My parents would take me into the hills of Newton, you know, and I kind of deep down inside, you know, oh, it'd be so cool to run the Boston Marathon. I think, okay. you know, most people kind of think that, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, those years and stuff, we'd go in there and we'd party at BU and BC and, and, and you know, party in, in, in dorm rooms and frat parties and stuff like that and watch it or go to the Red Sox game and just really party. And, you know, I still kind of, it wasn't a, it wasn't a dream. It was just, you know, it wasn't a fight. It was just kind of a, Oh yeah, I'd still really like to run the marathon, but <laughs> the condition that I was in the lifestyle that I led, you know, there's, it was it would not happen, you know? Um, and then, you know, I just, yeah, I just, it's just a really cool day in Boston. It's just yeah. the whole city down. It's all about the marathon and, you know, just really cool vibes, you know, attracts quite a few people and people come from all around the world to run the damn thing. You know, it's kind of yeah. the Super Bowl of all marathons. So, yeah, I trained on the course and it took me until this, it was October 2nd, 2016. It was my birthday. We went to Portland, Maine. And I finally qualified for the marathon. It was my birthday, birthday weekend. I didn't feel like running. And so, you know, later on we moved, decided to move to Arizona. So we had to fly back for, for Boston and, you know, 2018 yeah. was my first year running. I ran 2019 and then I was scheduled to run this year, but, you know, things yeah. because of COVID. So, so how long would you say it took from your first 8K, right? Which is not a common distance, at no, least it's, it's kind of for random. a race. <laughs> but, but, but how long did it take from your 8K to you run your first marathon? I mean, when we were looking at months, a year, what was yeah, the... it was 11, it was, uh, you know, 11 months, almost 12 months. Okay. It was technically under, under uh, a year. So coached a marathon. Okay. Okay. The furthest I've gone northeast is washington i've never been to massachusetts we've always wanted to go to those areas and visit um, but now you going to or being in arizona we're looking at high elevation right we're looking at a lot of uh hills and stuff or, or am i yeah i mean i'm in phoenix i'm near phoenix um yeah no so we uh there's foothills you know i live near south mountain in arizona so um i can i can get you know decent amount of climbing in mm-hmm. if you go for the north you go to Sonoran and flagstaff there's some higher elevations up there um, okay okay you know the elevation yeah it's i mean we're at sea level and at sea level right now or you know at 20 feet or 30 feet um in, in waltham massachusetts but you know out there in where i live we're about a thousand or twelve hundred mm-hmm. sea level and flagstaff is like eight thousand or something seven thousand feet so i'm doing a i'm doing a race called the cocodona 250 i'm doing 250 miles uh, in May, so you start okay. in, in Black Canyon City, and you make your way to Prescott, to Jerome, some historical um, courses in little cities and towns, and then you go to Sedona, and you finish up in Flagstaff, in Heritage okay. Square, 250 miles of trails and deep roads. And is this this is a race, or is this something that you're you're doing on your own to like fundraise? That's that's a race, but I'll be fundraising for it. And we did kind of a practice run. We did 105 miles of the course back in. October. Okay. I decided I wasn't, they did Havelina this year, Havelina 100. And I decided to do this mini, we called it a mini Donna instead of like, <laughs> that was a little less than half the course, but great preview. Yeah. Yeah. No, we've been having, um, cause I'm in San Antonio, I'm in Texas. So yeah, yeah. Like, we're not too, too far. Um, I know a couple of weeks ago or three, three weeks ago, I had a friend who ran from Austin, the capital to Corpus um about 223 miles and then we have a friend who's doing literally right now he's going from 
from San Antonio to, down to the border. So it's like 266 and they're, they're you know, it's for fundraisers. Um, so, I mean, that's, I, I love talking to people, you know, like you guys that, that are doing it for a purpose, but you've also have a close story or you've been through something, you know, big in your life that makes you want to help, you know, makes you want to, yeah. you know, you do know, that. Running kind of, it gave, it kind of gave me, it just kind of happened, gave me a platform to share my story. You know, I found that, you know, once I started having a little bit of success and um, once I wanted to do some of these larger events, instead of, instead of just like having a, you know, all right, Friday night at the frozen yogurt place of this restaurant, your favorite restaurant, they'll give you 20% off their dinner. I knew that I needed to make an impact and do some larger fundraising concepts. So by doing some of those larger fundraising concepts, it kind of, um, it got some of the media's attention and also a lot of people's attention. I was able to, you know, share my story. It's not about my accomplishment necessarily. It's more about, you know, the cause. Um, so yeah, I've been able to share with the world really, Yeah. you know, my, my story about addiction recovery and how running's helped me. And have you, I mean, since you've been running, do you, I know, I know COVID has been going on now for a year, right. Uh, yeah. or so, but I mean, would, would you normally run with a group of guys or have you always yeah. really trained alone or uh, both, you know, um, I would say I, I'm an extrovert, um, so I enjoy talking to people. And, you know, when you're running and chatting, you can, you, the miles go by a lot quicker. Um, I enjoy the camaraderie of running in groups and, you know, even just one other person. Um, but I do also like the time in my own head and, and just kind of doing my own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, by default, I think I run alone more often just because of my schedule or like I just put something on Facebook. Does anybody want to go run in the bus? We had 16 inches of snow. Um, <laughs> it was like the fifth largest snowfall in December in Boston. It's, it doesn't seem like it, but you know, yeah, anybody want to go running it, you know, five in the morning tomorrow and nobody, you know, people, <laughs> you know, I just, I kind of keep a weird schedule and I like to, I like to run early too, you know? So like on the weekends, I'll go with my buddy Jordan and we'll leave like four, four in the morning or something or five in the morning, typically on Saturdays. So I can get back and I don't really, it doesn't really interfere with family time, right? You yeah. got a young kid and I don't want to miss um, family time because that's important to me too. Oh, so. no, I definitely understand. I have a, as I was mentioning to you, we have a 10 month old and we have, you know, my wife and I run, she's, she's a better runner, but um, we have found a time to kind of um, either I stay with him and he, and she goes off a run then we do the trade. Yeah. But oh, yeah, I mean, running has been big in our life, but with him, you know, as a father now, you, you begin to think a little different, you know, um, running is very important, but family is just so much more important now, you know, um, Most important thing, but right? I, I definitely understand. Yeah. Yeah. So take, take, take your son, take your son out in the stroll as much as you can, because before you know it, he's going to be five and not fitting it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like I was a stay at home dad, which is one of the coolest jobs. I've had that job like three different times. And I'd say like 80% of my runs were with him. You know, and it's a pretty cool way for him to see the world. And, you know, even he doesn't run much. He, you know, I feel like I'm forcing him sometimes. So I don't want to, I don't want to, for, I don't want to force him too much because I'll push him away. But um, you keep surrounding him with being outdoors and positive lifestyle and positive people and healthy and all that stuff. And it'll, it'll stick, you know. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I cherish the runs that we had. I'm back, I'm back home. We used to go every Monday night up this place called Prospect Hill. I go up this this mountain road and then hit the trails and the stroller and you know he's two oh, wow. years old and people like how can you push him up there it was first of all it was great training for me yeah. second of all if i wanted to run i had to bring him 
Derek, Derek of all, it was a 5K. We did like five, four, four miles, whatever, sometimes. But if you can push a stroller up a hill like that and run trails like that, then a flat 5K is no problem, you know? Um, but no, yeah, no, he, he enjoyed it too. I'd give him a few gummies and some stickers and, you know, people like seeing him too. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, uh, no, I, I, I love, I love seeing that. Some of the, some of the stronger runners in town actually run with their kids, you know, uh, they're a little older. Uh, but when you see them running on their own in a, in a race, I mean, you just, they're at the front, they're at the front because yeah, all that training, man. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, maybe, maybe that could be me. Maybe that can be me. Just got to keep, keep going, keep pushing. But so you recently wrote or finished uh, writing a book. I did. Uh, okay. And the, the name really caught my attention. It's called Running Without the Devil. And I tend to, that song came to, comes to mind, right? Running with the devil. But yeah, yeah, no, Running Without the Devil. Okay. How, 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 did you come up with the name or how did that come about? I did. So I was going to call it, I, had a, I have a blog and um, I had a little run group called Will Run for Cannolis. So I do this thing called a cannoli run where, you know, I, I, I wrote about it in the book too. Um, I ran into Boston from our apartment in Belmont. And I had gone, I was about to go further than I had ever gone before. It was with Sebastian pushing him in the stroller. And as soon as I crossed the street, like, all right, there's no turning back now. We're going to the North End. I'm going to go get some cannolis. I started really thinking about it. <laughs> and, yeah. So then I started thinking about the treatment. So like, what would you do for cannolis? Anything, you know, would you go further? Would you go out of your way to get cannolis? How far would you run? And, you know, I remember... Um, in my active addiction on Saturdays, you couldn't buy beer where I lived on Sundays. And you had to be like, like five miles from the border of New Hampshire. So I remember rollerblading in the rain up towards New Hampshire to get beer and put in my backpack and come back. So what would you do for beer? What would you do for cannolis? So I thought it was going to be that. And then it just kind of popped in my head running without the devil. Cause I always thought like, not like I made a comment like earlier, like I'm, I'm possessed. I would felt like possessed. I just automatically would go to the store. Like that's just what I did. It just kind of became really, really had much of a habit that I felt like, you know, I had the devil inside me. And, um, and then once I found running, uh, I'm not running with the devil anymore. You know, I ran away from him. So yeah. That was kind of the analogy. No, I mean, the, the, I have it ordered, but I, I definitely will. I, I know I just bought a, a book from a guy um, that's overseas who has run like 900 marathons or something like that. Wow. So I'm still waiting for it to get here. Um, he's a very, an older gentleman, but um, hopefully I'll, you know, I'll be able to, to grab, grab your book. Um, just Thanks have a little collection of anyone that's you know, willing to tell their story. I think, that, I think that's fantastic. Thanks. And so um, the book, how, how, long, how long would you, I mean, it took you a, mi a minute to write it, right? Yeah, so it, after the first Boston Quad, we went to Mexico. I got my foot checked out because it blew up. And, um, you know, I thought it might have been broken or something. And they just kind of pointed and laughed in the emergency room. And they said, we're going to call this um, this overuse. <laughs> that was huge, right? And um, so we went to Mexico, and I was kind of laid up. Both my feet blowed up, blew up. And I always wanted to write a book and not for nothing, you know, maybe to give to my Sebastian, just, just the chronicles of my life and, you know, about running and stuff. And, you know, maybe nobody buys it. Maybe it's just for him. And so I started doing like bullet points, just bullet points of like an outline, things I, I wanted to write about. And then I started writing about certain things. I put them in order and um, yeah, those bullet points were kind of like chapters. Right. So, and then, you know, as the years went on, you know, it was 2016. So 
couple of years later, I moved out here and life got busy and I had no time and I started stressing. I wanted to write again. And so I was forcing it. It wasn't the right time to do it. I was forcing it and forcing it. I was getting really stressed because I wanted to do it, but it's not always when Henry wants, not always on Henry's terms. So I'd sit there with my phone and I'd go for a walk and go running and, and start talking into my phone. And um, I did that for a while. And then once COVID happened, it really allowed me to have the time to do it. Um, so I did a little bit of talking into my Chromebook here too. And mm -hmm. then when it, when it became the editing process, once I'm like, all right, I'm done. It's like a painting. I don't want to put any more strokes in the paper. Mm -hmm. because I'm ruin it. Uh, some of the things that I spoke into the phone, I have no idea what I, what I was talking about or it just didn't come out right. <laughs> so the editing process took longer than I wanted it to. It was a little tedious, but no, COVID really, um, you know, I got furloughed two times and then kind of given a severance package. It allowed me to, to spend time with the family, to sit in the damn chair and, and, and really work at this. You know, I'd say I spent a good four weeks pretty much almost every day you know at least four or five six hours and my son in the other room doing remote learning kind of playing hall monitor and and doing that working on the book and finishing it and starting my 5013 3c and, and getting that off the ground um you know really if i was to start like if i could say okay i'm gonna write a book if i could do it all over again he gave me the time i probably could do it in three months you know <laughs> but it took it took that long it just you know I could have, I could have done it quicker. I I could have set some time or whatever, but it wouldn't have been the right thing to do. It just, you know, work was getting in the way, life was getting in the way. Um, so it's finished and it's currently in the professional editing process right now. So I hope to have it out soon. I hope to have it out yesterday, but you know, <laughs> I want it to be right. You know, I can, yeah, I can always do different editions, but might as well get it right the first time. And what are just, uh, you don't have to go into detail, but what are just some of the, I guess, key points or that you kind of hit in the book? All right. So the book is about my early signs of addiction that I blatantly ignored. You know, I was, I was addicted to, to candy, to baseball cards, to pretty much anything, you know, junk food, everything I touched, I was addicted to. I kind of probably should have seen the signs. I grew up with alcoholics, surrounded by alcoholics, my family and and neighbors and friends and you know I vowed never to be like them and then I fell into the trap and um you know I don't want to say it wasn't my fault but you know the first time I drank I I was black blackout drunk passed out drank mm -hmm. over my face off and that was a pattern most of the time when I drank that's what I did it was monkey see monkey do but the reason real reason was because I was an alcoholic and then you know about my real active active drinking and using years and then finding the rock bottom that I described earlier about the incident with the shower and, you know, emptying out the beer and, and the hard liquor and then getting treatment completely understand I could never drink again. And then recovery, then finding running and then how running helped me and how it helps me live, live life on life's terms. And I talk a little bit at the end about, about COVID, um, how, you know, there's someone said there, there's not a right way to deal with this. And, you know, I disagree. I mean, there, there's, uh, there's certainly some wrong ways too. I mean, you could, <laughs> you could abuse alcohol, drugs, your wife, your, your children, yourself, you know, you could sit there and, and, uh, you know, not live a healthy lifestyle, or you could do all sorts of self-development, self-help, yoga, pick up a new hobby, start running, knitting, whatever, you know, start doing something that, 
you always wish you had more time, spend more time with your family, you know, um, learn online learning, whatever, you know, go for a walk, go for a hike, take care of yourself, take care of your family. You know, there's, there's some positive things you can do there. And, you know, I always complain that I didn't have enough time to run. I didn't mm -hmm. have enough time to spend everything, work got in the way, life got in the way. And, you know, it really slowed things down for me and, and, and put things in perspective. We're healthy, we're alive. And that's the most important thing, you know. So what are, do you have the book? Um, what are the things do you have? Let's say COVID calms down, right? What are the things do you have maybe as fundraisers coming up maybe in, in your mind or, you, you know, you're kind of thinking of for uh, this upcoming I'm, year? I'm a little maniacal. I don't know if my wife's listening right now, but I would. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, I really, oh, she's listening. I wanted, <laughs> she might yell at me. I wanted to do a, maybe a Boston double marathon while I'm out here, you know, not the, not the four times. It just takes too much time. Um, possibly a 24-hour track run, but I don't know, you know, family, we're here to see the family and that's kind of the priority. You know, if I have some time and I can do that and pull it off, great. But, you know, in the new year, I got some ideas. Um, I'm registered to do a 66.6 .6 Satan sidewalk treadmill um, event. So that'll take, you know, 66.6 .6 hours of moving forward on, on Satan sidewalk, otherwise known as the treadmill. And, um, you know, with my gym being closed, it's going to be a little challenging to train mm -hmm. <laughs> a treadmill. So anyways, I'll probably do that at a, at a friend's gym, maybe even Corning, New York. I don't know. We're going to see how this traveling goes here and see how the, the cases are going in COVID and, um, or at uh, a gym around the corner from my house, another friend's gym back in Chandler, Arizona. And then since the Mesa Marathon was canceled, I'll do the virtual marathon quad four marathons in a row from my driveway to the top of South Mountain to the summit. Hill. Yeah. There's a 7.5 mile road that goes up to the top of South Mountain, which I train on. So I'll do that up and back, up and back. So four marathons. And then I have a couple other ideas that I've been kind of playing around with. Um, Boston's not happening in April. So that possible it's going to happen in September, but I doubt it not to be negative. Yeah. Um, I really got to start training and putting some serious miles in and mountain miles and climbing for the mini Donna. Cause there's, I mean, the Coca Donna that's in May and that's 30,000 feet of elevation gain. So, um, you know, and it'll be cold in the night. So that's going to be the, the challenge, one of the challenges of the year. And then, um, you know, I'll do something over the summer. Maybe I'll do another 24 hour desert run in the summer and I'll do Javelina in the fall and, I'll get a couple more fundraisers in there too. Oh, I, I also, um, start, I'm, I'm, I just had my premiere as a race director, virtual race director. Okay. And, and I, I was going to, I was about to ask about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, that's a fundraiser too. And that's going to go towards, you know, getting people help for addiction. And, um, so I, it's 2,700 miles to run across the United States. It's 1850 to run across Mexico or trying to get people just moving new, new runners or walkers to try to do 500 miles so you know if they average two miles two two miles a day 14 miles a week they can get to the 500 miles by june and july you know trying to get people to live a healthy lifestyle too regardless of their their background or whatever you know yeah. like we're meant to move right yes yes no i yeah <laughs> and i mean the book's not out out yet right if i heard that correctly I, you know, we're, we're saying you know it should be out by by february 1st okay but it but it could be 
I mean, you can, you can pre-order already. You can buy. Correct. Correct. Yeah. If you go to my website, www.runningwithoutthedevil, all one word.com, um, look, look it up on Facebook or Instagram too, but yeah, go to the website and you can pre-order it there. You can make general donations. Um, I have personalized copies, paperback, and then also an ebook. Okay. All right. And is there any, I mean, besides the book, uh, you can donate, um, what other ways can anyone yeah. be a part of this? General donations. Yeah. Yeah. Just, there's a link for just general donations there too. I appreciate that. You know, the, the money goes to getting people treatment, aftercare, you know, if someone needs sneakers, someone that's, you know, in, in recovery needs sneakers. And, you know, oftentimes when they're in recovery, they spend a lot of money on booze or, you know, money's an issue and stuff. Um, you know, sneakers, a bike, you know, whatever it is they might need for, to get them um, in a healthy lifestyle. You know, their maintenance, their maintenance program, the recovery program, get them running or doing fitness. Fantastic. All right. And um, last, last uh, couple of questions. Uh, I like to do this with uh, the majority of, you know, the people that I get to talk to. Um, just a couple of quick questions. You could be one, 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 ans- one word answers, or you can give me like a sentence, but um, all right. So what is your favorite after race meal? After race? Oh. Okay. So <laughs> I have a weak stomach from years of abuse, um, you know, from alcohol and not eating properly. But, you know, my go-to before used to be Five Guys. So can I oh, get five a, guys. I get the bacon cheeseburger with mayonnaise, ketchup, tomatoes, onions, pickles, jalapenos, and extra cheese and a fry and, and you know, a Coke or maybe even a shake. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, you know, that's what I used to crave. And then it became burritos and now it depends, you know, it depends how hot it is out, how much trauma I went through. Like sometimes I'm just not hungry after a big race or a big bout of exercise. My stomach kind of gets trashed and, you know, I have a little bit of yogurt or something like that. Yeah. And then just kind of easing things back into my system. But, you know, pizza's good. I like pizza. <laughs> I, I mean, the, my favorite, I'll eat, I, I crave my favorite foods, even sometimes like a, like a hot dog. Like I won't necessarily eat a lot of hot dogs, you know, certainly not the night before a race or, you know, the morning of a race, no way, uh, or during a race, during an ultra, you know, I put that in my system, I'd probably cramp up and die. Um, you know, I'll crave something like that after something that's a little bit greasy or fatty. And for your, for your training runs, you got music or no music? Uh, I switch it up. So, you know, even races and stuff, I've done ultras and I've done long runs with just nothing. You know, a lot of the ultras, I don't want to kill the battery of my phone. I'd rather take the pictures and not carry an external battery pack. Um, but no, you know, I, I really do like my music. Um, anytime I exercise before a rollerblade or, or bike road, I always had my Walkman and extra batteries and I'd bring like six or seven CDs and stuff. I was always well prepared. And I remember a couple of times my battery dying or the Walkman crapped out or something like that. The headphones broke. I'm like, that's a normal workout. So I needed, I needed music. And then when I started running, I always had music. And then, you know, I found that I like just the tranquility of running in the woods or the desert and stuff like that. Just listening to, to the silence, you know, or, you know, mm-hmm. animal, you know, whatever, um, or a mountain bike coming behind me or a bear or something. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No music on the trails. Typically if I do, it's, it's pretty soft. And, um, yeah, no, sometimes I'll listen to it in the beginning of a race just to kind of calm the nerves, you know, 20, 30 minutes and then I'll shut it off. I don't like it all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I had one race, the Erie marathon that 
you know, I was doing well in my marathon. I'm like, I'm going to qualify for Boston. After three miles, everything, the wheels fell off the bus. And I shut the music off. I had to listen to the voices in my head, you know, that were saying, stop, quit, you suck, you know, you're slow, you're injured, you know, whatever. And, um, the, and the, other, the other good Fred Flintstone was saying, push through, <laughs> don't quit, you enjoy this, you know, run through the pain, run through the pain. So I needed to kind of, to win that war inside my head and, and no, no music. So, um, so sometimes, sometimes I just, I don't, I don't need it or I don't want it. Uh, but before, earlier, it was always music. Yeah. Uh, roads or trails? Both. Both. Pretty equally. <laughs> yeah. When I moved to Arizona, it was all trails, all trails. And then I, I signed up for the Arizona Rock and Roll Marathon in 2017. No. Yeah, 17. Yeah, and I qualified for Boston there. And um, I'm like, oh, man, it's, it's December. The race is in January. I better at least get a few road runs in yeah. there. And, you know, the trails and just being out there in Arizona, it's absolutely amazing. But, um, um, yeah, no, I got away from it. And then when I decided I was going to do the, keep doing the quad things, I needed, if you don't run the roads, you don't get specific training for that. It'll eat you alive. I mean, it'll eat you alive anyways. That's a lot of roads. But if you don't do any, you're going to get destroyed. So, um, you know, I practiced on the roads. I did that Summit Road and the San Juan Road and South Mountain quite a bit. And um, just kind of really switched it up. Now I'm just, I'm kind of a hybrid runner. I just do a little bit of everything. I'll do loops. There was a six-hour event here that I did um, a month or so ago. It was 1.3-mile loop. So I'll run around, you know, a half-mile loop around the park by my house and just keep doing that and see the same people fishing <laughs> and the same people walking their dogs and they must think I'm nuts. But yeah, you got to get in a special place in your head for that. But I, I enjoy, I enjoy just the benefits of running and just being outside and, and um, you know, just, just uh, really just doing some mind dumps sometimes, just getting rid of whatever's in my head, working through my problems or just spacing out or mm -hmm. I'm just listening to music. Yeah. As an ultra runner, I know you probably, uh, in a long race, you probably take a couple different pairs of shoes, but what would be your go-to? Like, uh, yeah, I mean, I very rarely do I switch shoes. Okay. Um, I was a Nike guy for the roads for a long time, and I guess I still am, but I have some Hoka's. Okay. And I have those two. And then um, I have Nike and Solomon for the trail, and then I also, I've been running in Speedgoat. So okay, I don't cool. want to say I'm, I'm, you know, converted into Hoka, but I, you know, I never thought I'd go that route, but I like them. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I like, I've had, I've had my pairs of Hoka. Um, and final question. Uh, it could be, it doesn't have to be running. It could be any sport. It could be anybody, but who's like, uh, your favorite athlete or someone that you, you know, Oh God, there's a million. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'll give you one in each sport. Well, I mean, I like athletes, people that are athletic or people that, um, try really hard. Like for example, I like Dennis Rodman. Hey. you just you know just know your role that type of thing uh, my favorite athlete i don't know i'd have to say it's tom brady oh tom brady okay <laughs> yeah, makes sense too <laughs> um yeah i mean there's a million baseball players that i like they like center fielders because they're pretty athletic you know people that can catch the ball diving catches and throw mm. the ball. um hockey is probably my favorite sport um, i like all different types of hockey players you know from 
people that have the etiquette and the finesse of like Wayne Gretzky and, and then the people that smash into the boards like Cam Neely, for example, or Boston Bruin. Yeah, I, I, I like people that are athletic, people that yeah. in football, they can play multiple positions. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, I just wanted to uh, mention one more time so that people can, in case they missed it the first time, and if they didn't, well, they can hear it again. Uh, your book, Running Without the Devil, and you have a virtual event. Uh, but all this, all this information is at runningwiththedevil.com? Correct. Correct. Okay. Runningwiththedevil.com. And, you know, you can find me on Facebook, Henry Ward, or Henry Ward 3 at Instagram, Running With The Devil on Instagram, Running With The Devil on Facebook. But, yeah, the information's on the website. Um, the website for the race is rwotb.com, like running with the acronym. acronym. Okay, yeah. perfect. Yeah. Um, and it's on Ultrasign, too. Yeah. That's and one last thing, if you, if you don't mind, I mean, it, for anyone that might listen to this that could be going through this or just, you know, is getting out of something like this that went through, could you leave us with some last words? Sure. I mean, it's, it takes great courage to ask for help. Um, you know, it took me a long time. I knew I had a problem, but it took me a long time to ask. You know, if you're struggling with something, um, it doesn't matter if it's addiction or anything mental health or anything that's really bothering you get it out of your own head talk to somebody you know you're not a burden you know i had a hard time talking to my own family about it you know i shared my story on facebook before i even told my sisters that you know we were separated and that i went to treatment and so on and so forth that's how they found out but um you know uh don't be ashamed i was kind of ashamed and then i was like i didn't want to be the way i was you know um but it's okay to share your story it's okay to be an addict you know i didn't want to be the way i was it wasn't my fault um speak up don't suffer in silence tell anybody tell a running friend tell a walking friend tell a co-worker tell a complete stranger just get it out of your own head and you know talk about it create dialogue you might find that there's a lot of people just like you you know that are going through the same thing you know the same but different um you know aa is free that helped me you can go there and there's virtual meetings too so if you find that you're just not enjoying that meeting just get out just leave the meeting and join another one but often when you when you go to these meetings you'll hear something you need to hear um and i certainly do yeah there's help out there. there's a lot of resources online you know google youtube right for everything yeah same thing recovery um but treatment saved my life get treatment it's you know it doesn't matter how much it costs it's your life right you know if you don't get treated then you're going to go down a, a, a downward spiral and you know, God forbid, die. I mean, I honestly, I'm lucky to be alive. The risks that I took and the damage that I did to my body, to my wife, my mother, and treatment, it's it saved me. I only get one shot at this thing called life. You know, might as well yeah, make the best of it. That's true. Fantastic. Henry, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure, um, you, you know, for anyone to open up like this. It's, it's never easy. Um, I'm sure you probably haven't, this is probably not the first time you've told your story, but, but going back to the first time, I'm, I'm sure it was, tough uh but again thank you very much for for sharing that with me and and hopefully very soon many others that get to hear this right yeah thank you and we'll keep in touch if god gives you a gift if god gives you a gift it's selfish not to share it yeah god gift of running and 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 recovery it's a blessing every day every day is every day is a gift that i wake up and everything's extra so um, by not sharing it's it's selfish so i'm happy to share and i appreciate you reaching out to me Awesome. Thank you very much. And you have a a wonderful evening and holidays and uh, we'll keep in touch. Stay in touch, man. Thanks. All right. Have a good one. Bye-bye. 
Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Any Given Runday podcast. Feel free to reach out to us, and if you have not done so already, please make sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you may listen. Please leave us a comment and a five-star review if you liked what you've heard. Until next time.